The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. We are in part six of our series called Move 2021. Um, if you remember in the very beginning, we kind of started in John chapter 20, verse 21, uh, with the text there where it says, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. We talked about the fact that we've been given this mission. We've been sent um, as a church, corporately and individually, not to run in place and just do all the church stuff, but to actually be effective in accomplishing the mission that God has given us. And, uh, and we talked about our purpose statement as a church is love God, love others, and make disciples. And we said that we accomplished that purpose by gathering, growing, giving, and going. And so what we've done each of these weeks, as those of you who have been here know, we've taken each of those words and defined what we mean when we say those words, right? We're, we're talking about what it means to gather, what it means to grow, what it means to give. And uh, today we're going to talk about what it means to go. And so uh, week two, when we talked about gather, we talked about gathering and we defined what it means. We said gather means we focus on the spiritual well-being of one another by provoking one another towards love and good works, communing with one another, and bestowing courage to one another because we're working together to seek and save the lost. We said that gathering is more than just coming here on a Sunday morning and hearing me preach and hearing Julian sing. Gathering is us doing life together, us keeping each other accountable, us provoking each other towards the mission. And then week three, we talked about growing. We said that the Holy Spirit gives us everything we need for growth, but we still must make every effort towards growth. That's what Peter said in that text, is that we make every effort towards spiritual growth. And we talked about the milestones of spiritual growth. As you look at your kids, there's certain things you want your kids to, certain marks you want your kids to hit as they grow. Um, and there are milestones for spiritual growth. We said that those were uh, moral goodness, knowledge, self-control, constancy, devotion to God, Christian love, and then love in general. Uh, and then week four, we talked about give. And we, t- we spent two weeks talking about giving. Week one on giving was financial giving. Uh, we talked about how there's a difference between tithing and giving. Uh, we defined what we mean when we say fellowship gives. We said it's living generously with our financial resources and living generous, generously with our labor. Uh, we said we should give, uh, that giving is a privilege and we should do it sacrificially and cheerfully. And then last week, we talked about living generously with our labor and how are we expending our labor. Uh, The mission is proclaiming him and discipling those who respond with faith. That's what we're about. We said that we're equipped to labor for the mission. We're united uh, for the mission. We're needed to labor for the mission. And we talked about the reason uh, that we labor for the mission. And this week is another uh, two-parter. When we talk about go, we're going to look at two different aspects of going. Uh, And so we've been talking about throughout this whole series about how all of these things lead towards going, right? Each one of these things, we do them because we want to go, right? We, we gather so that we can go. We live in community for a purpose. We're not just hanging out, being friends. You can go do that anywhere, right? The church has a mission, one singular mission from God to seek and save the lost. And so that is what we do, right? We gather so that we can go. We grow so that we can be used by God and go. So we um, give so that we can go. All of these things point towards going. And we've been just hammering this, this concept for weeks now, 
right? And so it all kind of comes to a head now that we're talking about going. Uh, We know that we're called to seek and save. We know that our mission is to make disciples. We know the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus commanded us to be goers. We're commanded to be goers. But not only that, he defined for us what it means to go, right? That's really nice to be able to have a definition straight from Scripture what it means to go. He said going is making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. Going is making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. If it doesn't lead to disciple-making, it's not going. That means that humanitarian aid alone is not going. Going out and fixing someone's house or going out and providing meals for people, that in and of itself is not going. That means that building relationships alone is not going. Inviting your neighbors over for dinner, that in and of itself is not going. That means living differently in this chaotic world, that in and of itself is not going. Why? Because for it to lead to disciple-making, it must include proclamation. For it to lead to disciple-making, it must lead or it must include proclamation. Look at Romans 10:14. How then can they call on him they have not believed in, and how can they believe without what? Hearing about him. And how can they hear without a preacher. You know what that preacher word really means? It's not a position in a church. It just means proclaiming, proclamation. Just filling someone's belly doesn't give them the necessary information to surrender. It's a tool to start the conversation. Just building relationships with someone doesn't give them the necessary information to surrender. It's just a tool to start the conversation. Just living differently around lost people doesn't give them the necessary information to surrender. It's a tool to start the conversation. At some point, you have to start the conversation. For it to be proclamation, for it to be going, at some point, you have to start the conversation. At some point, you have to be the preacher. At some point, you have to proclaim. You have to speak. You have to share. You have to bear witness about the gospel. At some point, you have to open your mouth or it's not going. If there's not proclaiming, there's not going. So when we say fellowship is all about going, we mean fellowship is all about gospel proclamation. And not just in this room, At 10.30 in the morning, from pastors, but from each and every mouth of every member of this church. That's what it means to go. It means that we all bear the responsibility as members of this church to go out into our community and open our mouths and tell people about Jesus. That's what it means to go. So we know we should be going. Jesus commanded it. We know that going must include gospel proclamation, or is it going? So the question is, why don't we? Why don't we? LifeWay did a research, did a study, and found out that 80% of those who attend church one or more times a month believe they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. 80%. That means 8 out of 10 people that come to church at least once a month agree that they bear a personal responsibility to tell people about Jesus. I don't know where the other two are at. They must be the ones that are sleeping. 
Yet, despite this conviction, only 61% have not, or I'm sorry, despite this conviction, 61% have not told another person about how to become a Christian in the previous six months. So even though 8 out of 10 say it's their responsibility, 6 out of 10 said, I'm not doing it. Why is that? I'm a firm believer that the why is important. The why we do things is important. Why do we, why do we go? Why, why do we, we know that, that we should, 80% agree that it's, that it's our mission, but why is it our mission? Why should we go? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Why do we go? Let's take a look at our text in 2 Corinthians 5.14. Here's what it says. For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ's. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this morning we're going to look at a few things, but first we go because we're compelled to go. We go because we're compelled to go. When you're a kid... You don't realize it, but your parents, they sacrifice a lot for you, right? They, they, they sacrifice a lot for their kids. I look back and realize I was completely unaware of the level of sacrifice my parents made. And I look back and see all the things that we had and all the stuff that we did and the things that were provided for us. I was a spoiled little brat. And I did not know it. All I could think about is the things that I didn't have. But now as a parent, it's very apparent to me, right? Now that I'm a parent, I realize the things that you give up. I realize that you give up, you know, date nights with your wife. You give up, you know, time alone. You give up lots and lots of money. You give up ambitions, so that you can love your kids, right? That parents do that because they love their kids. And one day, that love that my parents gave us will compel us to return the favor when they can't take care of themselves. Right? One day, I will miss out on time alone with my spouse. I will miss out on uh, ambitions, and I will... I will spend money to care for my parents because they loved me first. That is what Paul is talking about here. When when we're given true sacrificial love, 
It compels us to do the same. John 3.16, we know it. For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Listen, God loved us. And he proved that love through sacrifice. Romans 5.8, God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen this morning, hear this truth. You deserve death and separation. That's what you deserve. If you got what you were owed, you would be eternally separated from God. You would be eternally separated from a perfect and a holy God. You deserve the wrath of God. You deserve hell. But God's love for you led Christ to the cross to pay the penalty that you owed. That's what Paul is saying. One died for all. That's Christ. He gave himself for mankind. And my fear this morning is that the church has become so unmoved by this truth. That Christian culture today hears, God loves you. And they're like, well, that's cool. But do you understand the gravity of that truth? Do you understand the reality that God gave himself for you? We've gotten so used to hearing it that we don't really feel it anymore. If we felt it, it would compel us. When we really understand that reality, it compels us to lay our lives down for him. That's what Paul's saying, that when we grasp this reality that God gave himself for us, it leads us in return to lay our lives back down at his feet in complete service to him. That's why Paul says those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. This is a simple reality. If you really understand what Christ has done for you, you can't help but surrender your life back to him. It's a simple cause and effect. If you recognize the truth of the gospel, if you truly understand it, if you truly get it and you truly feel it, and it's not just something that you've heard your whole life that God loves you, but you recognize it and understand that God paid the price and the penalty for your sin, then you will in turn walk to his throne and lay your life at his feet. That's why we go. Because we're compelled by Christ's love to go. When we recognize the truth of his love, we can't do anything else but live in service to him. It's a natural response of the saved to lay down their lives for their Savior. Why do we go? Because the love of Christ compels us to go. Number two, we go because we're converted to go. Look at verse 16. It says, from now on then... We do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Sometimes we can be really quick to judge people, right? especially those of us who have been in church for a very, very long time, we may forget who we were before Christ. We, we have this elevated sense of, of who, we are, who we are. I worked with this guy early, long time ago, um, right after high school, who struggled with drugs, and, and he was in and out. He would go on these long binges and disappear for a while, and then he'd come back. And I grew up in a very very sheltered environment, very sheltered. I'd never seen drugs 
the entire time that I grew up. I was never around people who were on drugs. Like, that's a foreign world to me. And I had this preconceived idea of people who were addicts, people who struggle with drugs. I had this, this idea, like, you grow up in the D.A.R.E. program, like, drugs are bad, people who do drugs are bad, right? Like, that's, that's the mindset that, that you kind of get brought up on. One day, this guy shared a story with me. This guy had been through this unbelievable, horrific story. He'd been abused by a neighbor as a kid, repeatedly. And the neighbor would give him drugs to kind of calm him down so that he could abuse him. Because of that, he got addicted to drugs. So here's this guy that I immediately have this preconceived idea about. But the truth is, his, his story is just this, this horrific story of brokenness that someone did something horrible to him, and now he's addicted. Sometimes when we see someone like that, we make a lot of assumptions. We put on our worldly lenses and we make judgments about people. If they hold a different political ideology than we do, we judge them. If they live by a different moral standard than we do, we judge them. If they hold different faith beliefs than we do, we judge. If they stand on the side of the road holding up a sign asking for money, we judge them. We judge their motives. Even worse, we often view these people as our enemies. We look at them with contempt and hatred. That's not the way a converted heart views people. It's not. Colossians 3.11, in Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Listen, you are only a new creation because of the love of Christ. Not because of your ability to change, not because you labored to change. The love of Christ changed you. This morning, if you're a professing Christian, if you say Jesus has come in and and dwelt in my spirit and I am a new creation, that's not of your own doing. There's nothing to boast about there. That's because Christ loved you enough to reveal himself to you and make a way so that you can become reconciled back to him. Your change is a product of him and him alone. And so when we look at the world with contempt in our hearts, when you look at people who, who don't think like you and don't live like you and you have this contempt in your heart, that is not the heart of a true believer because someone who is truly known by Christ and someone who truly knows Christ looks at the world with heavenly lenses, not worldly lenses. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So what's Paul saying in this text? He's saying we're new creations with new perspectives. We see people through a different lens. Why? Because those of us who have been changed by the love of Christ are aware of where we came from. We're aware of where we came from. Ephesians 2 verse 1. 
says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Listen, this morning apart from Christ, we're all in the same boat. I don't care what neighborhood you live in. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. I don't care what uh, moral values you hold. Apart from Christ, we're all the same. We're all broken sinners in need of a Savior. And when you've been touched by the love of Christ, you remember where you came from, and that gives you a heavenly lens to view the world through. Listen, lost people are not our enemies. They're lost. Ephesians 6 Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. People are not our enemies. Satan is. Paul says this new perspective is the product of the new creation. You are not who you were. And that leads to a new perspective. Look at Paul's life. Paul was a Pharisee of all Pharisees, right? Think of his perception of who Jesus was before he actually knew Jesus. It was one of hatred and contempt. Look look at what he thought about Christians. One of hatred and contempt. Why? Simply because he didn't agree with what they believed and who they were. Acts 26, verse 9. In fact, I myself, this is Paul talking, was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He was viewing Jesus with worldly lenses. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues I fought, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme since I was terribly enraged at them. I pursued them even to foreign cities. Before his conversion, Paul viewed people with a worldly lens of anger and rage. But after his conversion, he viewed people with a heavenly lens of love and compassion. We can't look at the world with judgment. Lost people are going to act lost. Lost people are going to act lost. And yet we look at people who are different than us and get enraged about it, right? We look at a lost world that is morally bankrupt, and what we do as believers is get angry and want to fight that. When in reality, what we should be is showing love and compassion. We should be showing love and compassion. The love of Christ leads us to a new perspective, and that perspective is one of love and compassion. This new perspective leads to a heart that is broken for the lost. This is where we're landing the plane on this point, is that this new perspective leads us to be broken for the lost. We see that change in Paul in Romans 9, verse 1. Look what he says. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. Can we just take a second and look at that and be blown away by that perspective. 
We look at people who are different than us who are lost and we have contempt and hatred in our heart. And Paul looks at them and he mourns the fact that they're lost. He mourns, he says he, he lives in anguish knowing that there are people who will die and go to hell one day. The new heart gives us new eyes that see lost people for who they are and it leads us to great sorrow and anguish. That's what Paul's saying in this text is that when we look out on the world and we see people for who they are and we recognize that people are just lost in need of a savior, then our hearts break for them. So why do we go? Because we are burdened for, by the fact that there are people out there they are going to die and go to hell. We're burdened by that. We go to sleep at night mourning the fact that people are going to die and go to hell. Our neighbors are going to die and go to hell. Our coworkers, our family members, people who don't know Christ will die and spend eternity in hell. And we as believers should be mourning that. We've been compelled by the love of Christ to go and we've been converted with a new perspective that burdens our hearts for the lost. That's why we go. And then the last point this morning is this, that we're committed to go. Look at verse 18. It says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You ever been committed to do something by someone else? One time, Becca had this lady she was working with, and apparently she worked out this whole deal where I was going to go to her house and install new fans for her that I found out about later. I was committed to go help. Sometimes our wives do that, right? What's Paul saying here? God has committed us to the message of reconciliation. What does that word committed mean? It means that, that we were ordained, that he said it to be so. That God said it, so we do it. This is what we've been saved to do, to point people to Christ. We're ambassadors. That's what Paul says. We make his, he makes his appeal through us. This is a calling, and it's nothing new, right? We just, in the welcome, read a scripture, Psalm 105. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. What? Proclaim his deeds among the peoples. This has been our calling since the beginning, is to proclaim the goodness of God to all who will listen to us. This is the abundant life. When Jesus said, I came to give you life, and I came to give it to you abundantly, this is what he's talking about. Every year we go to Mission Arlington. Our students are actually having their first meeting today to go to Mission Arlington. It's a great trip. Um, the kids always learn so much, and it's, it's a really awesome time. Um, but every year, I would meet with a group, and we would talk about just how different things feel on a trip like that. And you kind of equate it to like a camp high moment. Like there's, everybody's like just charged spiritually, and they're so excited and pumped, and they're ready to go charge hell with a squirt gun. I mean, they're just fired up. And every year, my speech to them is, this feeling that you're feeling right now. This is the abundant life. Why? Because you're actually doing what you were created to do. 
You feel this way because you're actually living out the mission that God called you to live out. You've shared the gospel this week. Many kids, when they come to Mission Arlington, before they get to that trip, they've never shared the gospel with anybody. I bet nine times out of ten, the kids that I interviewed before we go on the trip, nine times out of ten had never told anyone about Jesus. And so here they are on this trip. They've been equipped to proclaim the gospel, and they actually proclaim the gospel to, to, to people who will listen. And they see God move in people's lives, and people come and respond with faith, and they are just blown away by it. They're pumped by it. And I try to tell them, this is what you're supposed to be doing in Nederland. You feel this way because you're actually doing what God created you to do. We started this series off by talking about what, where we expend our lives. What are we investing ourselves in? What are we doing day in and day out? So many Christians are going through the motions. I'm not just not, I'm not talking about lost people here. I'm talking about Christians. So many Christians are just going through the motions. We go to work. We get kids to school. We spend our evenings getting kids to extracurriculars. We eat. We go to bed. When we're not running around, we spend our little bit of free time vegging out in front of the TV. My question this morning is, can that really be all that there is? Could that really be what Jesus meant when he said that I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly? Did we just run the same rat race in life that everybody else in the world is running? Can that really be what the abundant life is? That can't be it, right? It's got to be more than that. You were created to go. You were created to be an ambassador. Look at what Paul says in Acts 20. He says, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Listen to me. Hear me this morning. Your purpose is to finish your course. Do you get that this morning? It's not to run the same rat race that everybody else in our culture runs. Your purpose in this life is to finish your course and the ministry you've been given from Jesus, which is to testify to the gospel of God's grace. That is what you were created to do. And listen, so many people are depressed and they're miserable in life. They don't have any joy and it's because they're not doing this. And I'm not even talking about the world. I'm talking about people in the church. People in the church are not living out their purpose and they're miserable in life. They can't figure out why they don't have any joy. And it's because they're running the same rat race that the rest of the world is living. We're not called to live that. Jesus warned, he says, there's this thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and so many Christians are living that life because they think that's what we're supposed to do because everybody else is doing it. That's why Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We should be different. Our purpose is different. Our lives should be different. This is... 
the abundant life. You know why you have no fulfillment? It's because you're not living out your purpose. Why do we go? Because the love of Christ compels us to lay down our lives in service to him. And because we've been given a new perspective that burdens our hearts for the lost. And because we recognize that this is where life is found. We know the what. We've been talking about it for months. We know that we should go. We understand going requires proclamation. Now we know the why. Now we know the why. Next week we'll cover the where. The only question that remains is when. When are you going to start? When are you going to lay down the busyness of this world? And pick up the abundant life that Christ offers by living out the mission that he's called you to live. When are you going to, like Paul, start focusing yourself on finishing the course? Proclaiming the gospel. When are you going to realize that you were created? You were created for so much more than the daily grind created for so much more than waking up in the morning and going to work, rushing the kids everywhere they're supposed to go, going home, eating, and going to bed. It's got to be bigger than that. It's got to be more than that. There's no abundance in that. Would you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Statistically, the truth is many, if not most, of us in this room have never shared our faith with anyone. We proclaim that we're Christians. We say that Christ has made us into this new creation. But that truth has never left our lips in a conversation with a lost person. If that's true about you, let me just say this, you're not living out your purpose.
those things are bad. It's not bad to have your kids involved in sports. It's not bad to, to do all these things, but if we're just doing those things and not proclaiming Christ, then we're no different than the world. What makes us different is the mission. There's a lot of reasons people give for not professing Christ. They don't know enough. They're shy. Whatever. There's so many reasons to do. I'm just so busy. And there's so many reasons people give, but let's be honest, all the excuses do is keep us from fulfillment. All those excuses are doing is keeping you from living the abundant life that you were created to live. So my challenge to you this morning to repent and surrender to the mission that Christ has laid out for you in Scripture. Fall before God, the same God who gave himself for you, and surrender in faith and make him the Lord of your life. to him fully. It's the love of Christ that compels us. So my prayer this morning is that you are compelled to go, that you see people through a heavenly lens and recognize that there are lost people in this world and that your heart is broken over that. And that you recognize that life is only found in living out this mission. It's not found in the rat race. It's only found in living out this mission. God, we, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the love that's been given to us, this undeserved, unbelievable, radical love. God, I pray that that love would lead us to surrender, that we wouldn't be like the rest of the world in how we live our lives, that we wouldn't just focus ourselves on just doing the normal daily things that everybody else is doing, but that we would focus ourselves on finishing the course that you've laid out before us. Our lives would be about sharing this gospel. God, convict us, change us, lead us to surrender. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.